Jason, can you tell us how you booked your first paid acting job? That would be uh, The Secret Life of the American Teenager. That was when my dad was in the show. And Brenda Hampton, who created it, she asked my dad, do you have any kids? Like, do they act? And he said, yes, my son acts. And she says, well, would he like to be on the show? And he says, well, I mean, he'd like that, but I don't want you to just give him a part. I want you to see him. So she invited me to the table read, and I read for this part, Joe Hampton. <laughs> nice little last name there. And she liked me, and so she brought me on. And so the casting was in L.A. or New York? Or? It was in Los Angeles. I, I, I didn't live in New York until after college. Oh, okay. And you were, what, 16 when this Yeah, happened? I think I was... I think I was 16. I think it was near the end of my sophomore year. So you were attending high school. Mm -hmm. And um, how did that work? I mean, it was... How many episodes were you in that you had to miss school or maybe didn't miss school? I think I, I did about... I think I did like 12 episodes total. And that was over the course of a few years. He wasn't a recurring, recurring character. He'd pop up every now and again like a little cameo, and I, I, I never had to shoot more than one or two days, so if I did miss a day of school, it would just be one day. Okay. How did that feel to be paid as an actor? Because so many actors talk about they get to a point where they love doing the work, they don't mind doing free work, but after a while they really feel like it's time that I'm paid. Well, it felt pretty good because uh, I hadn't, I hadn't, I was still in high school, so I hadn't really... Uh, been doing the whole audition grind or anything like that. Uh, I'd just been in school plays and local theater and uh, so I, I didn't know the feeling of doing 50 auditions without getting anything and uh, so it felt nice. It felt nice to be on a set. I thought it was educational to see what it's like and get a feeling for the air. It also made me realize that I had a hell of a lot of work to do, you know, because you really do have to be on your game when you're doing a professional set. So what was that first day like? Like, what was your call time? And, and what was Pretty that first early. day? I think 6.30. 6.30, okay. And do you remember how you felt, like, walking on set that day? I felt good. I felt um, cautious. I just, I was trying to see what this was because I, I loved film and TV so, well, so much, well, mostly film. And uh, so I, 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 I was I was on set and I thought, well, this is it. Uh, this is this is how you do it, you know. It's not just like a a play where you just get to kind of do a lot of work by yourself and just work with people in a small space. Like it just I figured out very quickly that people are there just to do a job. Like they know what they're going to do. And as an actor, you show up when a lot of the work has already been done, and you're given a call and you just got to show up and deliver right then. And, at least as a, especially as a day player. Maybe if you're a lead, you get a little bit more pre-production time, but as a day player, you just show up. Right, so you had not attended Lambda yet, of course, because you were no. in high school. So then with the blocking, what was that like? I, I'm not too familiar with blocking, so can you tell me? Blocking? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, well, it's just, uh, there weren't a lot of complicated shots. It would just me be standing in a hall, talking to people in the school hall. So, uh, you know, the cameras, they're trying to get a certain shot and uh, you got to be, and the cinematographers already worked with the director to figure out the framing. So they have these marks on the ground, like this, this tape, and you got to find your mark for a certain line or a certain segment of the action. And you got to hit that mark while doing what you need to do, like whether you're delivering a line or performing an action, like a physical action, and you got to hit it. And uh, 
but still make it spontaneous and have it have intention in that moment without making it look rehearsed. So do you remember when it was your scene and they called action? Like how much did you feel in the moment? How scary was it or exhilarating? Uh, it was exciting and a little scary. Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, I mean, it was a lot of fun to do. It was a fun show and the people on there were really nice. Uh, I don't know if I, I was fully comfortable yet to be fully present. I had tried, but I think it's, it takes a lot to get out of your head and get into your body. It takes a lot of confidence. Right. So were you cognizant of that at that time, that, that there was such a thing as being present as an actor, or I mean, at 16? Was yeah. that something you were aware of? Or? I was aware of it. I don't know what it, I don't think I knew how it felt fully. It's hard to do, because as, as a young actor, you, you see all these greats and you see the result of their performances and you want so badly to, to have that result and, and be that great. And the funny thing is, is like when you try to make that result happens, happen, that's usually what makes you tense and not in the moment. Right. And so you, it takes, I think it takes a while for certain people to learn how, that you just got to let go and I mean you got to do your preparation in order to let go you can't just walk up and improvise you got to really know what you're doing and and the essence of your character and 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 uh, and of yourself and the actions but Jason you said something I think I heard you say you still had to get your game up mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I'm paraphrasing but what was it that you felt you were off about or that you needed to improve on and, and how have you worked through that hmm. for that role? Well, uh, I, I felt like I was just a talking head. Like I think there's a, a, a feeling that actors describe where you're, there's one part of you that's outside of yourself it's aware of what you're doing, but then there's another part which is just there and in that moment, and uh, it almost feels like there's some deeper part of you that's doing the work and that's performing the actions, and it's like you're in like a, a an almost like another self. And I, I didn't have that. It's hard to explain, you know, because I think I think people try to over intellectualize acting a lot, and. Uh, you need technique for sure, but I think when you over-intellectualize acting and try to put a lot of specific... Well, you got to be specific as an actor, but when you try to be uh, fully... I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. Uh, I think if... My dad has a saying, if you can remember exactly how you did it, then it probably wasn't any good. <laughs> because you were probably too concerned about how you were doing it rather than just doing it right there. Interesting. So I think okay. I, that I was aware of that, that I was not letting go and just losing myself in that moment. And just, I think that takes confidence and a lot of in being in touch with yourself and who you are. Do you think because it mattered so much, that was your first job and you know, you're going to be on set with your dad too. So maybe you wanted to please him, but it just mattered so much. It was hard to, really be in the moment it sounds like yeah and I just think you know as a teenager you don't really know who you are yet and you're just starting to figure out what this whole acting thing is and I think it's a 
a teenager is a hard time to be an actor because when you're a child, you're quite free. You know, kids they have a lot of impulses and they don't and I, they don't censor themselves. You know, they're very close to who they are and like they uh, I don't think they're as self-aware of their habits or insecure. And I think there's there's a stereotype that you know that kid actors aren't good. And I don't think that's true. I think they're only not good if you try to make them act or if you write them as little adults because kids are so they're so spontaneous and they're so impulsive and they're so connected to their body and who they are. If, if you ever watch the audition video for E.T., the, the kid who plays Elliot, uh, it, it's Steven Spielberg's in a room with him, and, and that's how you direct a child actor, if you watch that, huh. that video. I'll have to look that up. Is it on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yeah, that sounds good. What was it the way Spielberg directed him? That's fascinating. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. He didn't try to make him give these results he just said you know like this is what's happening to you and uh you know your friend they're gonna take him away he just talked to him like a kid he just understood what kids want you know rather than trying to tell he wasn't telling him like be cute or like you know be be angry or like be he was just he was just telling him like this is what's happening to your friend you know and if they, if they take him away then you won't have your friend anymore and then you know just just give it to me and like i think something like that i don't know that's, that's interesting uh, I think I read that you said you like playing characters that are outsiders. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, I think it's an interesting perspective to work with. I mean, outsiders is a broad term, so that could mean a lot. But uh, I like playing characters that, that challenge people's perceptions. Because I, I think we live in a world where so much of our perception is, is given to it for us, is given, is given to us by other people, you know, it's such a cliche hipster thing to say, but it's true that, uh, you know, we're exposed to commercials all the time and and uh, social media posts, and we tend to surround our our friend list on social media with people who agree with us, and and you know, uh, all a lot of the movies we watch are made by the same people and controlled by the same companies, and. Uh, they follow trends, and we're just we're just exposed to so much media portraying a certain lifestyle. And you can, and in today's age, you can choose to surround yourself with media that that reflects what you find comfortable, and that I think it's uh, it's very easy to become very locked in what you believe. And so I really like playing outsiders because I think it, it challenges people's perceptions on what what is normal or what what life oh god what life means that's such a no no i, I there's a, there's a gentleman that wrote a book i think in the 50s about the notion of the outsider um and and other people's big people's perceptions the fear some people have of of the outsider and and the fascination and also the loneliness and isolation of that outsider and I forgive me, I, I, the name of the book and the writer is escaping me, but um, I think it's a fascinating thing, especially now because we're kind of afraid of anything that's different and we're taught to fear it. Who, who are some of your favorite outsider characters and why? Why do you like uh, those characters? Well, you know, there's Travis Bickle, of course, I think the ultimate outsider movie character. Uh, like not a good man by most definitions, but I find him interesting because it's easy to just say, "Oh, he's just a crazy guy," but you know, it's like he—I think that that character is a reflection of a society that produced him. You know, it's like imagine that you live in that city at that time, 
and you're in this car and you're just separated from the city by glass and metal and you're driving past it and we talked about you know the pimps and the hustlers and all these different people and uh you know i think about the people who get into his cab late at night you know like like businessmen cheating on their wives with with different girls or like you know there's that one character who's the opposite is the husband trying to find his wife and he says i'm going to shoot her in the face in the well, he says pussy i'm going to shoot her in the pussy with a 44 magnum pistol and uh you know he lives in this very little apartment by himself in this swarming hive of people and uh and uh, you know he doesn't have a lot of money so he, he uh you know, he goes to like those pornographic movie houses and, uh, you know, he takes that girl to that pornographic movie house and it's sad because I think he actually, in his mind, thought it was a good idea for a date. I think, because I like how it doesn't really tell you a lot about his past. He says he's a Vietnam vet. Mm-hmm. Some people wonder whether he is uh, a screenwriter. Uh, says that he is. Yeah, I, and I think it's easy to just... Uh, look at him as this crazy person, but you gotta ask, like, am, am I just a few steps away from being Travis Bickle? Like, what if I was put alone in an apartment in a ratty part of town for that amount of time, and right. if I was just cut off from people, and uh, if I'd seen what he'd seen? And... So is it, is it fascinating to see someone that the, the masses would say they're weird or they're bad, but if you really... Well, he is bad. I'm not saying he's sure, not bad. Sure, sure. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, but Maybe there's others in varying degrees where if you sort of looked at the timeline of their life, you could see why they got to that point and maybe have more empathy. But instead, most people put up the shield of fear and, and you're more fascinated by peeling back those layers. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like uh, I am. And not just that type of outsider, different outsiders too. But I guess I'm the type of guy who, let's say, if someone gets bitten by a rabid dog... Most people tend to feel bad for the guy, and I, I feel bad for the guy too. Don't get me wrong, but I also tend to feel bad for the rabid dog, because there are very there are very there are very few genuine sociopaths in the world, like people who are just born with no morality whatsoever, you know. And I, I think it's it's hard to, because uh, I, I think you know I'm not I wouldn't go as far as to say that I'm a biological determinist. I wouldn't go that far, but I think at the end of the day, we are physical systems where we're a collection of cells and like if I if I touch like a hot poker that is a bunch of molecules and energies that sends a reaction to these physical cells you know this whole universe we live in is a physical universe that's full of actions and reactions and you know we are animals and I think people don't like being told that they're animals because it ruins their kind of illusions of being this effervescent spirit that's in complete control of their life you know like uh, I am a individual and I control my destiny and like you do I don't think you can control your destiny nearly as, as well unless you're very aware of your base kind of cognitive biases and your base instincts you know like uh, and I think depending on the physical environment that you're in you know people react to that so I think it, it, we got to be aware of this and, and really be aware of like the the type of media we consume or the type of message that we're sending and uh, and I just think that's the only way that we can really make people change or is if we're aware of what created them, you know, because I think people like to treat these people like bogeymen. Like it's easy to treat a, a suicide bomber like just some crazy person who hates people. And yeah, maybe he hates people and he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy, but a lot, but, may, but you know, you gotta look back and if this many people are, uh, 
are creating these actions and doing what they do that, that are willing to give up their lives, what they believe is a cause, obviously something has put them into a rather desperate position. So we got to examine what caused that situation in the first place, rather than just treating it like a, like a thing, like something that can be, like we treat evil like it's just this thing that can be killed. We can just make it go away by killing it. Sure. Rather than changing the circumstances that bring it about. Do you think people can write a script for their own life and, and become, and this is such like a cliche, but do we determine our own fate? And, and in doing that, can you somehow relate it to acting? I think we can if, if you try to make yourself aware. Like really study, you know, study all sorts of different areas. Uh, you know, study psychology, but then again, study the different branches and, and, and see the different ideas, but not just psychology or, or like, you know, study history too. see what people have done and see what the results of that were and see the different perspectives, not just one. Uh, and again, I think just be aware of the fact that you are a, a, a creature, you know, that uh, is, is given certain instincts by what you were exposed to. And I just think question yourself, you know, I mean, be confident in yourself, but question yourself. And I think in the way that that relates to acting, you always got to be perfectly aware of the physical reality of your character. I, I don't think that necessarily means like, what's your character's favorite color? Or like, you know, what was your character's mom like? But if it's in the script, like if they live in a house and it says their house is like this, well, what does that say about them? You know, like if they, if it, if they, if they go to, if they're like a construction worker, well, what are the physical realities of being a construction worker? You know, and how does that relate to what the point of the story is? You know, like, because the writer chose that for a reason to make them a construction worker. So how does that relate to the point that they're trying to make? Jason, who do you think should get into acting and who do you think maybe acting might not be for? Huh. Well, uh, I think acting's for people who want to learn more about how people work and who want to tell stories and who don't mind making themselves look ridiculous. Oh man, that's because acting can be so many things and there's so many stories that we can tell. I mean, I think, I think acting is just a way to figure out what motivates people and it's a way to understand why we tell the stories that we tell because we've been telling stories for thousands of years and you know, we think about how many movies come out every year and how many TV shows come out every year and, and, and how many, uh, well, I wish there were more plays that came out every year, but uh, so the fact that we, we, we still watch so many movies and devote so much time to television and, and books and all these things says that stories are obviously important. You know, I think people do like to treat them as just disposable and escape, but I think the type of escape that you go to says a lot about what you want and the characters who I, that people identify with says a lot. So I think if you want to figure out what makes people tick, but also learn more about yourself by discovering what you relate to with a character, what you don't relate to with a character, and what you can portray, then I think acting's for you. I think if you if you're willing to uh, endure uh, hundreds of auditions without getting anything and devote a lot of time to examining yourself and your habits and your essence and seeing like 
how it is you portray yourself, then yeah, I think it's for you. Uh, if you like just ha if you like playing pretend, it's for you. I mean, if it's not for you, uh, I mean, obviously we need people to make the world run. We need ditch diggers and we need firemen and we need furniture builders and we need plumbers and we need. If you want to make stuff happen like that in a very in a very visible way, like here's this table and I make this table, then acting is not for you. Uh, if you, uh, I, I don't know, it's, it's hard to really say. I mean, if you don't want to be exposed like that, then acting is not for you. If you don't want to dress up in a silly costume, then acting is not for you. How did you know it was for you? Was there, was there a moment, I mean, you know, before your role on The Secret Life of an American Teenager, did you see something else or experience another movie set, something where you thought, I think this is something that I'm willing to go through, the good times and the bad, whatever happens with it. Well, I, I went to an acting camp called the Columbia Gorge School of Theater for seven straight summers from when I was 11 till I was 17. Oh, okay. And uh, it was a place where a lot of people from various ages, from toddlers to teenagers came. And we had a couple movement teachers and a dance teacher and a music teacher every year. And Jesse was the acting teacher and the head of the camp. And it was up in Washington State, just in the middle of nowhere, in the mountains. And uh, a lot of weird, kooky, crazy people were there with different perspectives. And uh, it was a place where you could be whoever you wanted to be, which I liked and which I like about acting, too. I think you can be whoever you want to be, whether you're Christopher Walken or, or uh, Chris Hemsworth. You can be whoever you want to be, and there's a place for everybody in acting and I, I figured that out at CGST because Jesse wanted to make sure there was a place for everyone at CGST as long as you respected each other and you got along. So that really made me want to act and I, I think I just figured out, again like I said, I, I figured out how people worked through acting. Hmm. And uh, In terms of what, like what moods, I'm, I'm curious, what does that mean? Well, what mood moved people, what motivated people? Uh, our secrets, our desires, what we fantasize about, and the actions that we choose to take. I remember I saw The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio as Howard Hughes, and I, I was, I think, 13 almost, no, I was 12, almost 13 when I saw that film, which is a rather adult film, but I just remember being intrigued by this man who had all these, these visions of what he wanted and he was willing to do anything to do it and he challenged people and he was so charismatic, but he also was quite, quite af affected in his mind. You know, he had obsessive compulsive and could be quite neurotic. And I remember being so, I just, that was, a, I remember that was the first time I ever really, really wondered how an actor did that. And I thought, what did he have to do to portray all these tics and all these different stages of this character and all these different sides to him? And, and how did he do that on camera? And uh, what, how, what do you have to do to prepare for that? And, uh, and I was just kind of fascinated by this outsider man. And I was kind of fascinated by how, because, you know, DiCaprio, he doesn't really look a lot like the real Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes was quite a tall, imposing man. He had quite a rugged, heavy face when he was young. And Howard Hughes is not... DiCaprio is quite... He's more youthful and he's kind of more slender and, and he's got more of a youthful face. But I thought he 
I, I believe the ambition that he had and the kind of the fragility underneath the bravado, particularly the scene when he's at Catherine Hepburn's house, you know, Kate Blanchett's Hepburn and all this old money. And he's just a boy from Texas who got money. And I, I think they, they say something like, we don't care about money here. And he says, and he just kind of, he's just looking down. He can't even look him in the eye. He's this billionaire. And he says, well, you know, that's because for you, money's never been an object. And I, I just remember like this kind of, yeah, being, like that struck something in me when he, when he just kind of was not a place at that dinner table. Is it helpful for someone to say, oh, you're an actor, you know who you look just like? And then you're like, well, even if it's a compliment or maybe someone you're thinking, okay, whatever. But do you feel that that's helpful for the outside world to tell an actor that they look just like another actor? Um, I mean, I think it is in a way, as much as a lot of actors are insecure about that, uh, because you, know, you do have to know how people perceive you. That doesn't mean you have to try to pander to what people want from you, because I do think as an actor, it's important to take chances and take risks and, uh, you know, like follow your instincts. But at the same time, you have to, I think you have to know how people perceive you before you try and challenge that. Because if you don't know how they perceive you, how are you going to challenge that? You know, like you got to, you got to, because I've been told I look like Robert Pattinson, whether that's a good or a bad thing, you, I think it's important to know that. Because if you don't know, you know, there's a lot of talk about type in, mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Right. And I think it can be quite limiting, but even so, you still have to be aware of it. Sure. Because, uh, I mean, if you're a heavyset man, you want to be James Bond, and you think you can change that, and you think you can challenge people's perception of James Bond, go ahead. But in order to do that, you have to know that people will not look at you and think that you're James Bond. Sure. So you have to be aware of your type before you challenge your type. And you do have to be aware of how people perceive you. It's like that old saying, you, you can break the rules, but you have to know the rules before you break them. Sure. You don't even necessarily have to follow the rules, but you have to know them. Right, or in order to change the system, you have to be part of the system, but maybe that's a different quote, <laughs> sorry. Kind of, I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think in a way. Yeah, so do you remember when a casting director or someone said, oh, this is your type, and how did you feel about it, and then did you want to challenge it? Uh... I mean, Robert Pattinson, that's not a bad... That's not a bad no, type. No, not uh, I think, when did people start saying that to me? I think, like, junior year of high school already, people were saying that about me. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can see that. Yeah. But, but you still have your own look. But did you, yeah. did you feel, I want to be chasing, I don't want to be... I mean, I, I think yeah, every actor Yeah, I think that. I felt that. Uh, I had some people say I look like Brando, which didn't bother me one bit. Sure, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. And... Uh, so I was aware of that, and I think I was, I was aware that uh, with my look and with my build and with my height that uh, I think people can see me as a kind of a young, fresh-faced California guy, which is fine. You can't be too picky as a young person, but I wanted to kind of break that. And in order to challenge that, you really got to know what you're doing. Because you really got to be good if you're going to break people's perception of your physical look. Hmm. Like You really got to bring that essence of what you want with you. And uh, I'm trying to think of what else, because yeah, people have said I looked like Brando. At, at drama school, I don't think they cast me as outsiders very often, which disappointed me, I must admit. Like, right. they cast me as a lot of kings and princes, which is fine. But I was thinking to myself, I don't really know if that's me, unless it's a weird king, like a King George III type of king. <laughs> so 
you knew that people considered you extremely attractive and you well, were okay oh, with I that. Guess. <laughs> but okay, well, but but you wanted to something with maybe more depth to it that wasn't well, just like, that, oh, he's a pretty boy. You yeah. wanted something that has maybe a dark side or a complicated side to it. Yeah, it's not that attractive can't be, have depth to it, but I like to... Sure. Uh, Ryan Gosling is an actor who really speaks to me because he's, he's very good looking and he's very handsome. Mm-hmm. But up until a couple films recently, he, didn't, he never chose typical leading man roles. I mean, there was a notebook, but, he, when he was, but even then with the notebook, he doesn't really play it like a typical handsome guy. You, know, you can tell he's a bit of a sensitive kind of person and there's a little bit of like kind of a, I think something he's trying to prove with that character. And, and then, but if you look at after the notebook, you know, because he could have just been this, this romantic leading man, but he chose films like Half Nelson, where he played a coke addicted teacher, uh, Lars and the Real Girl, like, because he's this beautiful man, but he, he wears ugly sweaters in that movie mm-hmm. and like stupid beanies, and he, <laughs> he's so disconnected that he, he, he has a sex doll that he marries and is in love with. Right. And, uh, you know, or, or uh, Blue Valentine. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Blue Valentine. He's uh, just uh, this working class dude, just a product of divorce. And, and I, I think he just really, he challenged his type for sure. And, and drive as well. He's just this autistic seeming driver. Right. So when you were told what your type was, did you find different ways where you thought, okay, I'd like to work around it when I do an audition or even what I'm cast for, I want to have my own way about it that's not just this one-dimensional pretty character, but I want to have it be complicated layers where you go, there's a backstory here that brought that person to be who they are, and I, I want to be the one that finds out. Yeah, uh, I mean, because I didn't have too many auditions in high school. Mm-hmm. I guess in New York... Uh, I just try to play it the best I can. Like I, uh, I don't know. I think I actually think there is a danger in trying, because as an actor, you got to make choices. But there is a danger in kind of over-intellectualizing what you're doing too much and kind of saying, like, "I need this result to happen," or "I want this result to happen," or or you have a fixed idea of what a character is supposed to be. I mean, you can play with it and you can see what the essence of the character is and what part of the story the character is at. And then you can try different things. Like I imagine this character is a bit like a panther. Maybe that's how he moves or, or maybe this, char- this character is like, like that boisterous Texas man I saw at the bar the other night. But uh, and actually, th- I think you can get too caught up in backstory. I mean, I think there are some decisions that you have to make, but like I think so many people try to think like, what's this character's favorite color? Or like, you know, what's like, like what, what made him cry as a kid? And I think like, <laughs> if it's hinted at in the script or if it's important, then yeah, maybe decide that. But I think if it's, if you're just making stuff up, I think you can kind of get caught up in your own head and you can kind of hypnotize yourself or you're or just all just psychology that just, it's just things that you made up rather than just something that's quite tangible. That's kind of immediate, like a, like I said, like the, the whole panther thing, it's like, you know, there's a very simple and recognizable essence to a panther, you know, or like a chicken or whatever you think your character is. Or a, so I guess when I look at a, an audition, like I know that I'm different and I know that I don't express emotion or intention in the way that most people do. 
so uh, and I have to be aware of that. Let's say if, if I'm playing a, a clean cut businessman, I'll have to change my essence. But at the end of the day, I know that it's just me. So I'm, I think that'll come across. Give me an example of a human panther. If you were a man in a suit or whatever your hmm. attire is, human but panther, you're a human panther in some sense. Good example. Uh, hmm. I think... Because they're very sleek, too, the way they move. Uh, I forgot to be really, really specific on this. And they're calculating. I'll tell you what. Uh, it's not a f Michael Crawford is the original fan of the opera. If you watch the way he moved, I wasn't born at that time, but I've seen videos of him and I've talked to people who watched it. He, he moved almost like a panther. Like every move that he made was so fluid and so calculated and he was just so, it's like every muscle in his body was just so kind of focused on what was in front of him. And he actually, he wore very small shoes that were too tight for him. So every step he had to take had to be very delicate and very precise and very ginger because his shoes were so tight. And he chose to do that to make himself move more, you know, more cautiously so he didn't have to act it. Interesting. Do you study a lot of old movies? Oh, yeah. Hell, hell yeah. I think, I think young actors don't watch nearly enough old performances because they, they're given this idea that it's dated. And yeah, maybe some things are different, but I think there's a lot you can learn from old actors. Even if the style is different, you can adjust it. But yeah, I, I watched a lot of old movies. What? Brando? Yeah, uh -huh. Brando. A anyone else? James Dean? Yeah, do, uh -huh. Dean's great. I, I think he... Uh, yeah, Dean's great. I think he had a few flaws, but uh, he's, uh, he, he, he's got great, very interesting physicality. Everything he does is so reflexive and so uh, spontaneous, and he's just so supple. You know, Brando had very much of a tension about him, and, and Dean was much more kind of flowing. Uh, Henry Fonda is a favorite of mine, an old favorite. Nice. It's very unaffected. Any older actor that was also an outsider? Uh, well, Dean, you know, he was a moody teenager and it's kind of the guy just felt very disconnected from where he was, you know, like, that's why I think Rebel, people still look at that image of Rebel without a cause because he's just a teenager who doesn't know what he wants to do with his life and doesn't feel like he has any role models. And, uh, Robert Mitchum was quite an outsider. You know, he was a first actor arrested for smoking pot. Uh, if you, I mean, if you look at uh, Night of the Hunter, that's such a strange performance, which I think is why it holds up now. It was weird then, and it's still weird now. Uh, so Robert Mitchum is definitely an outsider actor, I think. Uh, a female actors. I mean, I know uh, Marilyn Monroe definitely had a, a, a sort of a, a bunny-like facade, but I think she was very bright and intense no, behind yeah. the scenes. She has great movement. Mm -hmm. My God, if you look right. at her hips, like, you know, she's got the great... It's all on the hips with Marilyn, the way she moves them. Uh, little, little more recent, but I think Sissy Spacek might be my favorite actress. She's got a very unique, a lot of grace about Sissy Spacek. I think a lot of understanding. You know, if you look at Badlands, you know, it just doesn't even feel like a performance. Jason, you did an interview and you mentioned something to the effect of, I've learned that this industry is very hard. You have a lot of people demanding a lot of things from you and not everything is going to go your way no matter how many hours you put into it. Do you still feel this way? Oh yeah, for sure. I think you kind of never stop feeling that way, even if you do get big. Because no matter how big you are, at the end of the day, you are part of a collaborative medium. And there are a lot of people in this industry. Despite, 
there's a lot of people, but it's also quite small. You know, everybody knows each other. So, you know, you just got to realize that you're a part of the process. And even as a, even if you're a director who's controlling it all, you still got producers to attend to. And you can argue with them for sure. It doesn't mean you have to take everything lying down. But at the end of the day, you know, I think you do have to be a little Buddhist and be like, you know, this is just a part of life and I can't control everything. And you got to, as passionate as you have to be and be involved, you also got to distance yourself from it. This too shall pass. Interesting, like a zen. Yeah. Yeah, very zen. Very zen. How do you do that? How do you you care about it? But at the (laughs) same time, I mean, I, I hear that and I think it's very tough for people, whatever pursuit it is, to not get so wrapped up even though that can be their downfall, I get it. I mean, I haven't fully figured it out and it takes a long way to go. Uh, I think you just, you gotta be professional. On the one hand, you know, you can challenge people and uh, you can definitely break the rules if you know how to do them in a way that does not anger people in a way that's like, if, I, I'd say if you break the rules, you gotta break them you, unless like, if you're absolutely sure that someone will be like, I really like that you did that. And even, I don't know, it, it's hard, especially when you're starting out. Uh, and I guess I would just say it's, it's, not, it's about the craft, but I think you just gotta realize that it's not about quote unquote being good, which sounds counterproductive if you're gonna work hard. But I think if you try to make something be good, you're trying to make something happen, and then that's what'll kill you. That's what'll hold you back. You know, and I think you've just got to, uh, and you just got to realize that you're not bigger than life. You know, like there, like, yeah, like I said earlier, there are other people and you just have to uh, take chances, take risks, maybe even break the rules every now and again. But uh, you got to realize that you, you got to humble yourself, you know, and realize that you are not everything and that you are not entitled to anything unless you do good work. And even if you do good, do good work, uh, that doesn't mean you're entitled to everything. So keeping that thought that you want something, i.e. a certain part, and let's say you audition and you almost get it, but you don't get it, how do you live with that? I mean, you just realize that's part of it, but what do you take yourself through? To, to Do you allow yourself to kind of feel down and then come back out? Yeah, well, if you almost get it, that means that they like you. That's you know, true. that means that they saw something in you. So if you almost get it but don't, they're, they're almost certainly going to call you back for something. And, you know, maybe just uh, in the future, just like give them a little letter to, or a message. If, say, like, I, I enjoyed coming in for you and, uh, you know, uh, just I'm doing this at the minute if you're doing something else. And, you know, maybe they'll come and see you again. And, uh, yeah, just realize that you got to do this. And, uh, you know, you got to let them see you act and you just got to move on to the next one and keep working. You grew up in Los Angeles, right? Agora Hills. Agora Hills, uh, just, okay. Like you, you're going up Malibu and you're just past it and you go through the canyon. Sure. Right when you go out the canyon, that's Agora. Agora, okay. But you live in New York now, so you went mm-hmm. away to school at Lambda in the UK and then you decided at some point to pursue acting in your life in New York. What was behind that choice? I think I still wanted to see more of the world before I went back to LA, put a few more notches under my belt. New York's just a city I've always wanted to live in. I saw it in movies growing up and such a romanticized city and I just wanted to do more of my craft there. Not that there's not craft in LA, but I really wanted to 
challenge myself and and uh, do some more plays as well as maybe audition for films because they have film and TV in New York but they have a lot of theater so I think there's a lot of stuff that you would not be able to do in Los Angeles and I just think it's a good way to get experience and just get stripes. What was the day like when you made that decision? I think I want to go to New York. That was shortly after I finished school. I think it was when, because I was an American student and all graduating American students, whether you're on the three-year course, the two-year course, or the one-year course, do an American showcase in New York and in LA. And when I was in New York, it was different. And I thought, I think I want to try New York. Just, uh, I like the hustle and bustle. And I was like, I just want to try it. Right. And there's maybe more of an upfront, it's more raw, more upfront, more... Yeah, yeah I think like, so. And maybe did you, did you find that a little bit exotic? I mean, having L.A. is, you know, everybody so smiles and they, you know, they don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. But yeah. it seems like New York, it's almost better to know up front how something is. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. No, but, I, I dig you. Mm-hmm. So was to, for you, was that refreshing that it's just more, this is how it is and we're not going to sugarcoat it, but then there's no pretenses about. Yeah, I like that in New York. To be fair... A lot of people audition, when you're done with the audition, they won't even talk to you. They'll just say, you know, thanks, thanks for having you, you know, so, uh, but I think people there in general are more upfront. Uh, I think people there are more devoted to like auditioning a lot and taking classes and uh, not just wanting to be famous because if you're in New York, you're not going to get famous for a very long time if you get famous at all. I mean, same thing in Los Angeles, but I feel like especially in New York, you have to, I think you have to be there for a long time before you start getting stuff, unless you're like a dynamite, dynamite actor. Hmm. Interesting. And I'm not that good. Well, why don't you think you're there yet? Hmm. Just got to do more. Okay. You know, just got to find myself and just be confident in my body and who I am. Uh, take some people longer than others, you know. Uh, Is that something you were self-aware uh, of or did someone tell you? Did a casting director? Kind of. I, I just think at, at at Lambda, you know, it cut me down a notch because I, I, not that I didn't know it was good, but I just realized that you know, like you're not going to have people raving about you right away. You really got to put in these hours, and you really got to find yourself. Because I kind of felt like people didn't always necessarily. I don't know if they necessarily got who I was as an actor or what I was trying to do. I mean, I still learned a lot, don't get me wrong, and I had great teachers there and I made great friends. But I kind of felt like I was like, damn, I don't know if I really know my technique yet. I know what I want, I know what I believe, I still got to figure out how I do what I do. You know, so I, I just think that, uh, I don't know, you know, some people it just takes a while to just kind of be comfortable and know what they're doing. I think Sanford Meisner once said it takes 20 years to make an actor. I understand you are a poet and you enjoy poetry. Is there a poem by a, a poet that you admire that describes your life as an actor? Hmm. Oh. Uh, whether it's struggle, whether it's fun, whether it's interesting, fascinating. Well, not a poem about acting, but... <laughs> or in general. Song of Myself, the Walt Whitman poem, which is just about America and about all the different elements, like... I think that's a, a poem that I really related to because he tried to see everything. He tried to see the animals, he saw the plants, he saw the human body, he saw the politician, he saw the 
all the different workers in the city. You saw the cities and you saw the plains, you saw the different parts of America. You saw that it was the poet's job to bring all these different elements, both the physical, the spiritual, the emotional, the personal, the public, and bring them all together and express the meaning of those and like the essence of those and our perception of those. And it was his job to communicate that. So I think he was trying to be aware of everything and how it all relates. And so I, I think that resonated with me as an actor because you've got to be aware of it all, or at least try to. You won't know everything, and if you think that, then you're going to stop progressing. But you always got to try. You know, uh, what did he say? Something like, he's talking about how he's at the opera house. He says, the, like the, I, I'm not quoting directly, but the voice of the soprano like, brings me convulsions like the climax of my love grip. <laughs> okay. And I was like, damn, man, that guy... <laughs> That's a cool way of looking at the world. That guy's so into, into opera, and he's just so into the, 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 uh, the product of this woman and the writing and, the, and the, the house that all these people are watching it in. That guy literally is coming on life. Why Walt Whitman, though? Like, is, are there other poems? What is it about his being so aware, like this watcher? Uh, is he also an outsider? But he watches. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, he used free verse, and uh, it was so much more wild and loose and mm -hmm. not as tight and concise as the British poetry. And even American poets tended to write in the British tradition, you know, like there would be a certain number of beats for every line, and like there'd be rhyming, and, you know, you had like a very specific point that you had to make in a very kind of like uh, grounded and controlled framework and Walt Whitman just cut it loose so he he made his own meter and he made his own verse lines and he just like threw every good sounding word in there he could find and there's just something shaggy and untamed about his poems that I love something wild and uncontrolled which is like America at that time like this you know he's, he's a product of all like these people that like, going out west and these people like making all these new factories and like people cutting down trees up north and like all these people just scrambling to like make something out of this land and you know he he was he saw the civil war he saw the nation nearly tear itself apart he saw all these different people these irish people and french people and english people and and, and black people and native americans and and so there's just he's just wild he even says something like i shake my wild locks at the sun and and uh yeah and he was uh and he, his poetry was so sexual too a lot of it which shocked and offended many many people is that what you want to play, a character that's just very raw, that's very sort of untamed? Some of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are a lot of different characters I want to play. Totally. Not just outsiders, but right. I'd love to play a character like that. It sucks. There was a, actually a play in New York that I wanted to audition for so badly, but it was Walt Whitman in his 30s, so he was too young. I think it was called, what was it? It was, uh, it was like Emily Dickinson Paranormal Investigator, <laughs> which is about a version of Emily Dickinson that was a paranormal investigator. And their version of Walt Whitman, it said, think of like a young Dracula, someone who was willing to do anything to get what he wants, and he sells his soul. And I was like, damn, I wish I could play that version of Walt Whitman. <laughs> so you're in the movie Hate Crime, mm -hmm. which um, you play opposite uh, Jordan Salome. Yeah. Right? And I know your dad's also in the film. Um, we talked to Jordan uh, via a podcast interview uh, last week. So he's based in the South. 
Yeah. And he was telling us that part of his business strategy as an actor is to just really stay in the South and work on productions that are happening there. And he felt that he was great as a regional actor. I'm wondering about your strategy. I know you're in New York and I know there's plenty of opportunity there. Um, do you think there are enough acting jobs to go around um, in, in, I know with Louisiana, I think your dad's studios are there, mm -hmm. um, Atlanta, um, there's also South Carolina. Do you think that that's a good strategy for people? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, uh, everyone's different. And I think if you're from those areas, you can be close to home and still get work and pad your resume. So I think for certain people, it's a great strategy. And there's a lot of good stuff down there and uh, you'll meet a lot of interesting people. So I think that's, that is a good strategy. I, th I just think I like New York because I like the city and I like the challenge of it. And I know a lot of people there, which is nice, but uh, I have a good teacher too. But uh, I think, yeah, it's great, you know, if you want to be in those regional parts of America. And I think you'll also see a part of, if you want to move to LA eventually, I think it's, it's good to be in those parts of America because you'll, if, if you're from LA, maybe you'll just see a side of America that you won't necessarily see in Los Angeles, more normal people, more gritty people, more uh, working class and all that jazz. Right. So it, it, it sounds like it's not so much the place anymore. It's just what do you want to do and where do you want to be because there's, it sounds like there's opportunities many places. I, I realize yeah, it's not the In same. some ways. I, they, they still tend to cast the principals out of New York and Los Angeles. You know, most of the, the, in the secondary markets, mostly if you're local, it's mostly day players or small parts. It's rare that you'll go up for a lead. But still, if you want to get experience and then go out to LA and New York, it's a good strategy. Right. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Winner's Bone. Like I yeah, remember it seemed like a lot of people, except for Jennifer Lawrence and a few other characters, Dale Dickey, uh, they were all based from, where was Missouri or yeah, Missouri? Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Was, was Jennifer Lawrence living in LA at that time or was she more like, I, she, wasn't she on like blue collar comedy or like one, or the, was it the Bill Engvall show or like it was some kind of show like that I think she started on before and she had a small part before Winter's Bone. Right, I think she where was. Where was she living? I, yeah, I'm not sure. I know. I she should was, know this. Wow, this is terrible. Well, that's okay. We'll 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 look it up <laughs> Sorry, afterward. But yeah, yeah, that's okay. I think I think she's she's okay now. Yeah, right, she's cool. good. But You're good. <laughs> but I'm just thinking of a movie like that, or there's there's other films where you can feel the authenticity of the place. You can yeah, feel that people. I like are, movies like that. Like, me too. Or like Beasts of the Southern Wild, and a lot of those none of those people were actors too. And they were great, you know, because they weren't trying to be anything. They were just them. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a movie like that. Right, you can see it in the extras even, too. You just, you just see that maybe they're not as concerned with being seen. And this is no offense to, like, L.A. extras, but definitely if anybody's been done extra work on a set, you know, people definitely want... They want to do that cross in front of the camera, and it's it's a huge thing for them. But a lot of times with those regional film shoots, you can definitely feel just more real people that are less concerned with screen time, it seems mm -hmm. like. And that's why a lot of, I think, directors, particularly foreign ones, like to use non-actors. Like, uh, there's a great, uh, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, uh, Pierre Paolo Pasolini, which is my favorite. He made that. It's my favorite biblical film, which is... Interesting, considering it was made by a gay communist atheist, but he filmed it in the south of Italy, and everyone in that movie was just people from the country. I think there were a couple cameos by famous Italian artists, like Jesus was a Spanish economic student, 
<laughs> and the, he cast him because he wanted that authenticity. And it feels so authentic. Like, they just feel, and it was shot in black and white, handheld. And it just feels like they're kind of local people who just live out in the wild who are just being with Jesus. So it just feels very authentic. Well, your dad is also a director. Do you feel that one day you'll also want to direct? Yeah, I think I could. I mean, I'd really, 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 really want to study it because there's just so much you got to do. There's so many elements you got to think of. I mean, it's like sculpture. Like, or, you know, we got to think about sound and, and the framing and, and then there's, you know, production time and, and just the way you direct the actors. Like, there's so, so many elements and you have to be good at everything. It's like an MMA fight. You got to be good at boxing and jujitsu and kickboxing and dirty boxing and and wrestling. You just got to be good at all those areas. So as a director, you really got to know your shit. And but I'd you, like to someday. You would. Okay. And lastly, um, even though you're in New York and you do audition, do you ever do taped audition? I've done self-taped. Yeah. And how is that for you? What is there someone reading with you? Do you, you have a yeah, friend? I always get someone to read with me. It, it can be hard. You know, it's a weird feeling when like you're not because with normal auditions, like you have a place to go, like you know there's going to be people in the room, and it's going to happen on this day and this time, so it's, everything's very definite. With a self-taped, you know, you don't have any professional people there with you. You got to do it on your own time and sort it out all yourself. So it is a lot of pressure on yourself, and it can be hard to make it not feel too casual. And uh, but you got to learn how to do it. So. In some sense, is it almost easier if you don't have any other distractions because then you can really be present? Like, if your reader is someone that you're comfortable with, do you think you could almost do sometimes a better job? I don't know. I kind of, I, I prefer having a definite time and place and like being able to prepare myself before I go in. I, I actually feel with self-tape, there's more distractions because I feel like I know exactly what's going to be in this room when I go into an audition. For Everyone's different, of course. For me, with a self-tape, I... Uh, and say if I do it at my house, it's like I got to make sure my roommates are quiet or if I'm doing it at someone else's place, like it's like we got to make sure that there's, what if people are working around outside or something and uh, it's like, oh, I'll put it off till tomorrow because I got to do these emails. So uh, I feel like I have more distractions and I don't have a set time and a set date. Interesting. So it's better to have to have a time, place and a structure to it. For me. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jason, what has been your strategy in seeking out acting teachers or coaches? Well, uh, I didn't have one for a while after school because uh, I was thinking to myself, I've had three years of people telling me what to do and how to act. And I learned a lot, don't get me wrong, but I just thought I want to kind of be myself for a while. And then uh, I didn't get anything for a while and I uh, was uh, just trying to figure out how to live by my lonesome out of college. And then uh, earlier this year, I, uh, I just thought, you know what, I think it's time I start an acting class again, even if just to have a place where I can do it every week so that I'm obligated to act every single week and I'm, and I'm keeping it sharp. You know, it's like as an act, if you work out, you got to work out every week, unless maybe you've had a bunch and you got to have a deload week, but that's a different topic. And so, uh, and I was quite, I lucked out actually, because I've been writing down a lot of acting teachers in schools and I was planning on trying out a lot of them. But I had a friend who I, he just told me about this acting teacher he had, and I thought, I'll, I'll interview her, see how I like her. And I went to her apartment, and she interviewed me to see if I was right for her class, and I just got this, this vibe from her. Like, I was like, I click with this person. 
this person speaks my language and I, I like the way they look at it and I think we're a good match. And she was making all these observations about me that I didn't know you could make if you didn't know me for a long time. And I'm not talking cold reading bullshit, I'm talking like real deep observations. And so I started going to her class and for now, I'm just sticking it with her. I mean, maybe a long while in the future, I might try out some other stuff because I do think you gotta expose yourself to different people. But for now, I'm, I'm content being with this person. So it sounds like you took a break because you were so, uh, it was so intensive when you were at Lambda and then you just wanted to do some stuff on your own and you realized that just finding someone that intuitively you matched with mm -hmm. was probably the best thing. It wasn't necessarily a style, right? Meisner or oh, Strasburg. Kind of, yeah, or, she oh. kind of has her own way of working that she's derived from various people she's worked with. Uh, she's Russian Jewish and pretty old. Uh, she met Tarkovsky, Andrei oh, Tarkovsky, wow. the famous Russian director, and like, uh, she, so she's been around. Uh huh. She, and uh, like she, she was taught by some people who were Michael Chekhov students. She might have had a teacher or two who was a Stanislavski student from like directly from him. There's one guy in particular who she really, really likes. So it was, it was one of Stanislavski students who Stanislavski said was a better teacher than him. And uh, I think she was taught by a couple of Meyerhold students as well. So uh, a, lot of the a lot of the Russians she likes, but also her own methods from uh, various people she's worked with and practices. And So your advice to another young actor out of school sounds like find somebody that you just really resonate with as a person. Uh-huh, yeah, and like don't be afraid to try different people and, and ask them questions. and. Uh, if you feel like their answer doesn't make sense to you, then, uh, then move on. And I'd also say, uh, when you're looking for a teacher, you're, don't look for someone who you think is just gonna make you good right away, or just get you famous or get you work right away. You know, it's a process, you know, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. You know, look for someone who is going to challenge you and, and, and work. Because I think a lot of people just want to start getting work right away, which is fine, don't deny it if it comes. But you know, not everyone's ready right away and you just gotta really be confident in what you're doing before you start trying to get everyone to like you. So it's not a, it's not a weekend real estate course. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you wanna make sure that you feel comfortable there. And what if someone, let's say they don't, they've been in the class a little bit and there's just something where they just don't feel right. When should they make that break and, and go to another one? When Even you, though everyone else likes it. Sorry. I think when you, when you can. You know, mm -hmm. be polite about it. Don't burn a bridge. Don't, uh, don't insult them or anything. But just say, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who I am as an actor. And I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to tr maybe try different people and, and just see what happens. And I just want to see what else there is out there. I think if they're any good, or if they're any, uh, if they have any understanding, they'll understand that. You know, they'll understand that like, you gotta find your own path and find what resonates with you, as long as you're respectful about it. And you just say, like, I'm just trying to see what else is out there. You know, if you're a dick about it, or you just say you suck, of course they're not gonna, they're gonna be angry at you. So yeah, just use prudence, I'd say. But don't, don't ever stick with some, I mean, don't leave just because you're feeling you know, like it's hard or because it's challenged. You know, I'd say give it a good go before you really decide that it's not right for you. Because who knows, maybe at first you're 
it doesn't feel right just because you're being challenged or maybe you're just being put out of your comfort zone. But after a while, if you really don't think you're getting results, then, you know, uh, then try something else.